I mean, the number one rule was surf a lot. He would like trip out if we weren't surfing a lot. He'd be like, you know, I surfed three times today. And we're like, oh, cool. He thinks he's the luckiest man in the world. I went for a surf at a little beach break alone one day and there was a dead whale on the beach and there's a little river mouth. And then I went in and I had a beer. And I'd say that was, you know, I was probably a little bit luckier. Welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson. And this episode, we have an interview with Coco Ho. Coco is one of the stars of Electric Acid Surfboard Tests, alongside her brother, Mason. And they've just spent five episodes tearing through 25 alternate boards on some of the funnest looking Mexican points and wedges that you could pretty much ever dream of. And I picked Coco's brain on Electric Acid, but also just on what it's like to be Coco, which seems like a pretty great thing to be so if you haven't seen this series then please get on there and subscribe to Stat premium uh we'd love to have you there's also the you know you can access the entire catalog of stab films and there's some amazing ones in in the pipeline which will be coming out down the track and plus there's also the weekly premium editorial so uh there is a link in the description so click on through to subscribe before we get into that interview though let's catch up on the previous week in surf news with stab's editor mr brendan buckley Still, how are you feeling about being editor, Buck? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. All I have to do is think about surfing all day and tell some stories about it. It's great. Well, let's talk about some news. What are, what's some of the biggest things that have happened in the past week? Well, I am in the U.S. at the moment, and one thing that happened, unfortunately, is there's a shark attack just about a few miles north of Mavericks, a fun little beach break called Gray Whale Cove. It's a state beach. 38-year-old man got a, got a little chomp. Huh. I actually read something, like a, an interview he did with a you know local news station, and he described himself as, he said he thinks he's the luckiest man in the world because he's still alive, he's going to make it. And I just thought, like, that's really an interesting take, don't you think? <laughs> like, I don't think, I don't think luck would be, like, what my first my gut reaction to a shark attack would be. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I did find that funny as well because I could instantly just list off so many luckier people. Yeah, I mean, I, who knows? Maybe he listens to this, but if he does, like, I hate to break it to you, man. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that happen, but like, I went for a surf at a little beach break alone one day, well, just a few days ago, and there was a dead whale on the beach and there's a little river mouth and then I went in and I had a beer. And I'd say that was, you know, I was probably a little bit luckier. You know what I mean? Like, sorry, it sucks that you got attacked, but I'm, I'm not sure if I associate getting munched with luck, but he's going to make it and that's good. Um, it is an interesting time around here, though. It's like sharks, I think they just come closer and closer to the coast in June, especially young ones. Like there's been sightings around San Clemente and stuff like that too. So they're around but it seems like most of them don't want to attack people. So hopefully it's just sightings and nothing like what happened to our lucky or unlucky friend up north. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you say, I think, and, and then you mentioned some sort of a theory on sharks because I just feel like it's, it's so commented on and there's been a, a pretty significant increase in shark attacks over in Australia and I think worldwide that is constantly commented on and, but no one seems to really ever know anything. I remember I was hitchhiking once and I got picked up. I just, pure by fluke, got picked up by a shark scientist and it was right around the time there was a lot of attacks over here and I started peppering her with questions about it and she just said, 
there are too many variables for us to really know anything when you were trying to apply any, any like really rigorous evidence-based reasoning to to what's going on in in the world of sharks right now it's like she she basically couldn't say anything very confidently because it's just the amount of variables the amount of more people surfing more people in the water obviously overfishing and a number of other things going on with the environment water temperatures changing currents just other long-term cycles that we might not even understand about uh, understand anything about and it's I just, I kind of just realized like, wow, it's just this weird, horrifying part of our lives that we just can't really comment on with any certainty about. I mean, I guess it all boils down to luck. If you're lucky enough, <laughs> maybe you'll get bitten one day. Oh, that's only the half of it. Okay, so yeah, the next piece of news, it is unfortunate. Unfortunate, truly unfortunate, not uh, questionably, but the passing of Greg Knoll, aka the Bull, at the age of 84. Um, sad. And you know what? I, when I was a kid, I just had no interest in surf history at all. Like legitimately zero. I thought that whatever happened before me had nothing to do with what I was doing. And I didn't want to hear about it. But Greg Knoll was the one person that had this kind of spark. I think just the way that he spoke, how just kind of rogue he went often and the way he would describe things. Cause I mean, you can only imagine what surfing big waves was like back in his day, you know, he's born in 1937. So 20 years later in the late fifties into the sixties, like, can you fucking imagine trying to surf like a 20 or 30 foot wave back then? What would have, what your brain would have to be doing? Yeah. Especially given the equipment. And I guess he was shaping a lot of his own equipment, but they just hadn't experimented enough yet to really know what worked. And the boards were made out of really heavy materials well, I mean, which I guess sometimes uh, helps in bigger waves, but just the unknown and the, and it's almost like Roger Bannister running the four minute mile. Once it's done, you can see it, you can you can get your head around it. But the fact that these guys were pioneering in that space and doing things that had never been done was, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. Uh, they're pioneers, you know. They're they're, they're definitely definitely surf pioneers. I remember there's this quote I've got written down here from that Matt Warshaw has up on the Encyclopedia of Surfing, and just about his confidence in big ways. He, he said, I was overwhelmed by a feeling that there wasn't a wave that God could, could produce that I couldn't ride. It was sort of blind, stupid feeling, but I had all the goddamn confidence of a rhinoceros. Yeah, like shit like that is amazing. Like, what a character. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You know, you also, you, you're touching on his character. I've never met Greg Knoll. I, I've, I don't know much about him, but I do know in all the obituaries that there's a lot of reference to his to his character and and the type of the type of guy that he was, you know, like words like boorish, a blowhard, a bullshitter, and they all point to this like kind of lunatic of a guy. And it's sometimes because an obituary is never going to be overly critical because you you just don't shit on the dead. That's just not what you do. But I kind of wonder, like, uh, if if at all when this happens, if they're euphemisms for like maybe he was like really gnarly, or maybe he was maybe he was you know this this wild wild animal. Uh, you yeah, know, that, that people can't really touch on it so much. For sure, I think uh, I think you're onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I trip on about we talked about like the equipment and stuff, but even just like just imagine surf forecasting back in that day. You're just looking at a weather map and guessing. Yeah, which is pretty much what we do today, but in, with a lot, a lot of equations. But like, can you imagine paddling out? 
in like the biggest ways you've ever seen, having no idea what's going to happen next. Like it could just be a swell on the rise and you're just, you know, going to see what happens. Sure. Yeah, that's something I hadn't really considered. That's a really good point because especially when you're in Hawaii, like he spent a lot of time surfing over there and the swells just increase so rapidly over there. You can you can paddle out and it'd be, you know, pretty manageable and then within half an hour it can be double that size. And so I'm sure surfing those outer reefs and some of those some of those spots that he did that he he found himself in some hairy situations. Yeah. I mean Lucky, let's talk about Lucky again. He made it to 84. <laughs> that's, you know, that's uh, sad to lose him, but seems like he had a great life. Yeah, 84 is a good run. What is, what is life expectancy for a male? I'm just going to look that up right now. Hmm. Should we say USA? Male life expectancy USA? 78.54 years, so... For, oh. for being a lunatic that he is, he's gone over the average. That, those figures were based on 2018 and I'm sure it hasn't changed too much. So well done, Greg Knoll. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is offensive, but if you're going to like go over under on the age that Greg Knoll, somebody like that's going to make it, I don't think I'd bet the over against like the average life expectancy, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. He didn't seem ultra healthy. I think he even commented on that a few times about, you know, telling people that he didn't look after himself when he was young. He was a big boy. And uh, his message was to to look after yourself because it all catches up with you when you're older. So, um, yeah, we'll try and take on that advice. Yeah, we'll go get a smoothie after this. I to, I've been asked to kind of clean up my, my speech and do something a little, talk a little bit more wholesome this evening. No? Well, I just got to tell you, you know, you guys are young and you got you to take care of your health while you're young because, you know, you don't realize when you get to be an old shit like me that, you know, real name, but he didn't pay attention to his health and he ended up with a problem with his throat and he had to go to the hospital and have an operation. I told him, Phil, that's not his real name, but I said, Phil... Please, the next morning, you know, after the operation, check in with me and let me know how it went. Sure enough, the next morning, the phone rings, and this is Mrs. Sanders from the hospital that Phil uh, had his operation in, and I'm pleased to tell you that it wasn't cancerous, but the surgeons did have to remove a rather large hairball from his throat from eating too much pussy. You know, if, if we're going to give people one recommendation for something to watch a week, which could be a route that we'll go in the future, maybe, maybe not. But if we are going to just say, watch this one thing, kind of must-watch claim, uh, I think it has to be the East this week. It's the final. We're dropping two episodes. And four is already out, but the final five, I kind of got a little preview. I don't want to give anything away. I think by the time this goes live, it'll be out and about. But it's just fucking awesome. Yeah, and for anyone who isn't up to speed with the acronym, E stands for Electric Acid Surfboard Test and the current series with Mason and Coco Ho. And you've been over there in the office while they've been putting this together. And obviously you've seen the, the final episode. You're about to have the premiere over there in the States. What's the, what's the energy in the office been like trying to pull this thing? Is it, is, have people been uh, 
have, has it been a merry experience or have people been snapping and yelling at each other? Oh, it's been beautiful. It's been the full spectrum of just yelling and cheerfulness and late nights, early mornings, exactly what it takes to make a brilliant surf film, I think. <laughs> um, it's been entertaining in every way. Entertaining yep. to just kind of sit back and watch the guys have at it. Entertaining to see the beautiful thing they're creating. It's been... Um, it's been a pleasure, man. Have you been enjoying the series? Yeah, I just can't not be in a good mood after watching Mason and Coco interact. We're going to have Coco on this episode and they're just, they just, they couldn't be, they couldn't make surfing look more fun and then just their their vibe on it in, in between each other is just some of the funniest and, and best banter, you know, and then you, you throw in really fun Mexican waves, those right points, it's, it's a pretty dream. It's a pretty dream film project. The way it's come together, um, yeah, I've been loving it. It is very uplifting, charming. It's like an uh, an antidepressant. It's like a it's some sort of drug when you when you watch those two together and surfing. And I want. I'm desperate to know. I'm going to ask Coco this. I haven't interviewed her yet, but I want to know if Mason ever has downtime because he just seems like he's always on. I, I've I haven't spent a lot of time with him, but I've met him once or twice, and he was exactly that same person every every single moment he shows up on a film he's exactly that same person is he like that level of eternal stoke and optimism all the time that's a great question i haven't really spent time with him but that is i actually asked some form of that to um we have a guy doing an italo ferrera interview coming up to kind of align with the drop of his upcoming movie and I asked a similar question because he's the same way, in a different way, but same similar energy. Of he always just kind of looks on and high energy and happy. And, you know, I guess he stomped his board out at time in, uh, where was it, Narrabian. But you do get curious with people like that, don't you? Yeah. I mean, less curious with Italo because I think it's directly related to caffeine. He's just so hyped up on, on caffeine. And, and that's what everyone always talks about all the time, but it's the truth. Like if you would, if you would juiced up on eight coffees and eight Red Bulls, you probably would seem pretty upbeat. I mean, who knows what's going on in, internally? He might have just, he just might have bats in his mind flying around, just bouncing off the edges of his skull in some sort of anxiety ridden mess. But uh, outwardly, outwardly facing, yeah, he's, he seems pretty, pretty happy guy. Yeah. Well, I, I do have a hunch that Mason might, you know, get a little boost from uh, some, some stuff too, but you know, you never know. <laughs> well, there, in saying that though, there is no biological free lunch. Every drug that goes in has to have a, a, a response in the, in the opposite direction inside your body. So maybe we can't put it down to, um, to, to assistance. Mm, I've never heard that saying before. That's a good one. No biological free lunch. Yeah, I stole that off someone. I can't remember who to attribute that to, but it's 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 a handy one to know. Yeah, they were wise, whoever you lifted it from. What what are the plans for the for the the last episode, the the premiere, the party? Like, what's what's uh, what are you anticipating on that last night? Uh, America's alive again. People are out. You're seeing chins everywhere you go. Masks are a thing of the past. Oh man, so many chins. And you know how it is out here. There's some very handsome men. You get some nice chiseled chins walking around. You know, they're proud to have them out again. Yeah. But we are doing a watch party on Thursday night in Oceanside right near our office. 
and there will be a lot of handsome chins there. But I think the coolest thing we're doing is we've worked with JS. They have a big, uh, I think they call it a garage, the JS Garage in Oceanside. And six of the boards from the film are going to be at the shop all day, and we're inviting any of our premium members to come pick one up, take it for a spin. I don't know. If you break it, I don't think we'll make you buy it. Just uh, please come back. <laughs> and I think that'll be really cool. I think with premium, we want to make it feel more like it's more than just a, hey, pay to watch or consume our content. It's, it's, I think we really want to try to look after people and use the things we have, like, you know, a office full of surfboards to extend that out to them and hopefully allow them to experience some things that they wouldn't have otherwise. So I think uh, we're looking to do more stuff like that around the world when we can get around the world. But for now, the Oceanside thing will be fun. So if you're in Southern California, come on by. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, a lot of the early subscribers received a pack from Stab with a hat, a couple of bars of Foo Wax. What else was in there? So a few other treats just to say thank you for jumping on the concept uh, early on. And then now getting a chance to ride free boards. That's Stab's just... The, the brand of the people, isn't it? We're a brand for the people, yep. by the people. Well, that's only the half of it. Another interesting thing on the premium side of things was Jed Smith wrote a lovely piece uh, called Localism is a Sickness. I think you guys kind of touched on it. He wrote two pieces that were a little bit similar. One was on surf towns, one was on specifically on localism. And I think you guys had a chat right between, right in the middle of the two. And so I think he did talk about some of what was written in this piece. But that was published recently. And it's one of those things, we talked about social media before, mm. where the reaction on there can so drastically vary from the reaction pretty much everywhere else. And everybody I, took, everybody I talked to loved it. I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. Um, the whole premise was that being a local, like really subscribing to the localism idea will just stress you out all the time. And as we all know, stress is bad for you. Just, it is unhealthy. It makes you sick. And so he wrote a lovely piece on that. Great response, except on social media where (laughs) I think we had about a thousand people yelling about it. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, I think Jed's touching on, parts of surf culture that have never really been torn apart and comments uh, and deconstructed in the way he has. And it's, it's super fascinating. And the comments on that article were really, well, they were depressing in a, in a, in a big way, but they were, they were just bizarre uh, in, in many ways. Like, there was people like Chris Malloy, Jason Ratboy Collins commented on there, Eli Olson, Pete Taras, like, you know, these big names in the, in the surf world. But I, I think it just comes down to the world, the, the fact that people hear the word localism and they just get incredibly fired up and, and need to sprout opinions. And all of the opinions in the comments had almost nothing to do with the content of the article. They just heard that, that localism was mentioned. They felt really impassioned to say some shit, uh, to comment. And I remember there was this, Jed wrote a comment and we pinned it to the top. He, what did he say? Um, I got it written down. Oh, yeah. He said, Hello, all. It is I, Smivy, the author of this here article. Might I relay a famous parable in my native pikey tongue? Tis a special kind of dumb cunt that comments on, comments on things he hasn't read. That is all as you were. And then, of course, that comment, um, you know, inspired another 
hundred or so comments of just people just having these inane, pointless arguments. It was, and I, I just, I spoke to Jed this morning about it. Uh, and he was like, he was just like, man, it's all just mute because no one actually read of those people. A lot of those people commenting didn't actually read the article. So it's all just, it's all just kind of nonsense, you know? Yeah. I loved his reply. I thought his <laughs> reply was the just perfect thing to say. Yeah. It, you know, what's funny is I, I, I mean, Stab's got over a million followers on Instagram, which seems great, but I mean, it's kind of depressing how many of them uh, don't seem to have the ability to have a nuanced comment on, the, on these or, or say anything even just interesting about these kind of things, uh, which is a bummer. I, I, I remember hearing this theory once that um, if you... If you want to comment on the internet, there should be an IQ test you have to take. And then that IQ test will then determine your typeface that you use and the color of that. Of that. And I think um, if we had that system in, in place, a lot of these people commenting about localism would have had a pink Comic Sans, uh, bright pink Comic Sans comment. Uh, and we would have been able to sort of disregard those ones. Ah, oh, what a brilliant idea that is. <laughs> That would make social media more addicting. That's scary. Yeah, it would make it better. Hey, I've got a comment written down actually uh, that I thought was that was typical of of some of the some of the worst ones. Tommy underscore Robinson wrote. This is in mostly in all caps too, but I won't yell it. He said, "Jed Smith, you wrote an anti-localism article and locked it out with stab premium. There is nothing lock or premium about what you mentally ill buff smoking child." I don't. I don't even. I don't even know what a lot of those words mean. Mean, but um, yeah, an interesting take from Tommy underscore Robinson. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> well, that's only the half of it. So tell us about what's coming up on Stab Premium in the next week. We are kicking off next week with Volcom's new film Lobotomy, which I haven't seen yet, but I've heard is great. They did a live premiere on Twitch which I'm not too familiar with that platform, but apparently it just exists and then it's gone, so that's kind of cool. But they are showing it on Stab Premium for the next week, so I'm really excited to check that out. I've heard Ozzy Wright's part is just astounding. So that's going to kick off the week. Beyond that, we have some more from Jed coming. Uh, he's got another idea that he wants to... I don't think he seeks to stir the pot, but I think he just goes at these these things that people hold such strong beliefs about. Yeah. But he's got a piece coming on social media. Oh, that great. I, yeah, that I think will stir the pot and then probably make people think a little bit differently about things too, which is, I think, what he does really well. So those are probably our two biggest things coming next week. Both should be great. Thanks, Buck. It is now time to chat to Kaka Ho. Uh, so let's do that. And the strongest dose of surfboard here in the electric acid surfboard test is... What's yours, Coconut? Oh, shit. You're in Hawaii. Are you living... Do you live at the family home still? Yep. Me and Mason live together. We live upstairs and my dad lives downstairs. And yeah, same... Same house since we were kids. We've never lived anywhere else. I have a house at Rockies, and uh, we're slowly 
but surely um, building something. And uh, and how's it been watching Electric Acid back? Is that is that like fond memories, or, or is that was that experience a bit grueling down there in Max? No, it's really funny because any friend, our house is pretty like. I mean, everyone's house is pretty personal. Like no one knows too much of what happens in your home. And my dad has always tried to keep it like that, like no cameras in here. And, you know, cause everyone wants to like, can we film your childhood home and, and stuff like that. And so for the world, no one's really seen me and Mason interact like constantly for a few days. But any friend who knows us is like, oh my God, that's just how it is in the kitchen. We're just oil and water every day, all day, <laughs> but all love. But for the world, like even in the water every day, someone tells me like, I love seeing that chemistry of you and Mason on cam or like in general. And I'm like, yeah, it's really good to have it on camera finally, I guess. I've always wondered what it'd be like to be filmed and edited when you've just got a camera in your face constantly. And, you know, every reality show stars like, I was unfairly edited. Is it, is it not that there's, you know, not that there's any uh, controversial shit in there, but was it, was it, was it weird watching yourself back when it's all chopped up like that? Um, it was good though, because there's a lot of times I wanted to say something like about the dead kooks board. Like I wanted to, I was thinking it like, oh, this is what I think I saw Rosie Hodge riding when she was pregnant. So I wanted to say it. And somehow, of course, there was a camera right there. And hey, I'm always so blown away when I hear pro surfers talk about surfboards just in terms of they're knowledgeable. I don't know why it gets me every time. I can never get used to it. And it happened again when I watched you and Mason talking about electric acid, uh, boards in electric acid. I just wanted to get a sense of where your surfboard knowledge comes from. Um, as a kid, I, I mean, even as a student in school, I asked a lot of questions. I was like, I'm not the smartest in the class, but I asked the most questions. You're the most curious. So I felt like I had I'm very curious. I had the most desire to be a nerd, but I just couldn't be a nerd. <laughs> I just didn't have it in me. And Mason would actually like tease me. Like, he's like, why do you try so hard in school? I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I would stress test if I didn't get A's and stuff. But um, I think my effort got me better grades than my brain. And, um, but for surfboards, it was pretty similar. Like, I cared a lot. I would like ask my dad, what is V and what is this rocker? And so the names of the models are just the rocker on the bottom or, you know, like I asked, I still to this day, I asked him the other day, what does a wider board do? And he's just like, are you kidding me? You're 30 and you're, you're I still ask the most simple, basic questions. But yeah, I, I'm curious. I like to learn and surfboards um, was a very common dinner table talk for our family. Yeah. So. I've, I've heard a lot of psychologists talk about the difference between men and women. And, and when they make generalizations, they talk, they say that like men are typically more interested in things and women are more interested in people. And, and that's kind of what explains why there's more male mechanics, for example. And then also why there's a lot more, like a lot higher proportions of women that work in the health sector. And they're just generalizations, yeah. of course. But have you, do you notice that, that you you know a lot more about boards or you care a lot more about boards than other female surfers? Yeah, but I have a crazy advantage of my family. Like my dad is the biggest board nerd. He actually, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but like Brett Maramoto and Eric Arakawa would credit all their like board building and board learning 
from my dad being like their client, you know, their rider. Like my dad was in there telling the shaper how to shape, um, essentially. And so, yeah, he, I, I definitely have like the cheat code to surfboards. Even at Surf Ranch, he was like, I heard him like telling Steph things. I'm like, this is so funny. <laughs> like he's still just the board nerd. And then I never hear Mason like trying to learn or asking those silly questions that I do. But then Mason will like just blow my mind and say something like really smart about a surfboard. I'm like, oh, he does know. Yeah. And your dad, he comes up so often during the film or during each, each, five, each of the five episodes. And, and you get, get a real sense that he was such a huge part of imparting all that knowledge about surfboards. But also just it seemed like I get the impression that just about surfing and surf culture in general, he, how did that work in the house when he was, was kind of creating these rules and framework for, for you and Mason? I mean, the number one rule was surf a lot. He would like trip out if we weren't surfing a lot. He'd be like, you know, I surfed three times today. And we're like, <laughs> oh, cool. Um, so I, that was like his only irritating pressure about surfing was just like he really believes in the science of surfing a lot. And it is smart. And then when I qualified for the tour at seventeen, eighteen, it was like this cliche of... Um, because Mick Fanning had just turned into, like, the jock, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, I got to train. I got to, like, be on that big Swiss ball and, like, throw shit. And my dad's like, no, you don't. And, like, I was paying a trainer, and my dad was just mind-blown that I was giving money to someone else to, like, train. My dad didn't understand that. And um, so, yeah, his funniest rule was just, like, surf a lot. And it it does make all the sense in the world. I'm like, he's not wrong. But um, today he's like, he does see the value of like being strong. I'm like, dad, think about endurance. Like if I can't out paddle that girl, you know, or something, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a good little blend now. Um, What else did he structure pretty funny for our surfing? Yeah, no cameras in the house. Um, You know, every sponsor wanted to do the typical like day in the life or whatever and our main role was like even my manager knew number one rule to any brand was like okay her dad doesn't really like filming in the house so you can just do like coffee surf <laughs> everything was always like outside of the house yeah i'd oh. never actually realized but i've never seen inside that that world that's pretty special that you're able to keep that yeah dad did a good job to a lot of people growing up the dream of becoming a pro surfer it seems like a, a billion miles away and somewhat unatta- unattainable. But when you grow up in a house where your dad's multiple ti- time triple crown winner and your uncle's first ever Hawaiian world champ, was believing that you could live that life as a pro surfer and make the world tour something that was pretty easy to believe? No, I was like trying to think I could play tennis and I was so bad at it. And I would like make <laughs> friends play it with me in school and like, I was so shit, but I just had this dream. Like, I could be Sharapova, but um, no, I already had, like, stickers on my board. The only place I was getting dragged to was the beach. And um, I'm trying to think of the moment that it clicked, though. Probably, so as a kid, I started competing, and I actually just traveled with the Volcom team coach, Dave Riddle, and he was, like, Bruce and Andy's coach, and 
So he'd bring me and Dusty and Zeke along and we watch um, Bruce and Andy on tour at Snapper. Like he brought us to Snapper when we were so young. With my dad and Uncle Derek, I didn't even really know what they were or how cool it was. Um, it took me to see like Bruce and Andy and Rochelle Ballard and Megan Abubo to be like, yeah, I'm going to be Rochelle. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, probably not till 15 did I realize I wanted to be a pro surfer, but I was already like at Snapper. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such a di- I guess it's such a different life to where pro surfing was at when, you know, your dad was, was, was winning contests and does he ever freak out at the amount of money that you and Mason have been able to make from surfing and the life you've been able to live? Like, does he ever trip out at where, where, how far surfing's come? Oh, 100%. I think that's why, like, to this day, even when I won my one CTI one in 2009 or whatever, I won 12 grand. So even then, like, even from then till now, I think that's, like, the biggest spark why my dad's like, get back on tour. You smoke these girls, please, please. I'm like, dude, are you all right? He's like foaming at the mouth. And I, I swear it's because of the money. And um, I totally understand because even from 2009 till now, I like pinch myself like, are you kidding me? It's hundred grand now. Do you want to um, get back on tour? Ashton was telling me that you're never going to ride thrusters again after this electric acid. I sent, um, Ashton thought I was in Waco. Or so he's like, are you in Waco? And I was at my surf ranch, like practice day. And I sent him a photo of like my board in the pool. And it was a thruster, like my comp board an epoxy. And he just didn't even <laughs> reply to the thing. I'm like, <laughs> I heard you got a little bit stitched up at Lemoore because your practice time, everyone gets allocated a little practice time in the pool. And yours was at like something like 1145 at night was it the night before. Was that right? So I fell on every wave too. You <laughs> I was f- like, fell asleep no, in the barrel. Good at ten forty-five, exactly. Yeah. Oh wow! All the wild cards and rookies got super stitched up. The Brazilian kid actually, his wave was eleven forty-five the night before, and then eight a.m. on the comp day. Oh man! I could have got that stitched up, but he got it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. man. Um, yeah, right. So that's that's official. Coco is looking at the tour again. Yeah, I, I got to give it a go. I'm yes. just like, I'm just stronger and smarter, maybe happier. I don't know what it is. Yeah, time away from it, I'm sure, gives you a bit of reflection on how you could do it differently and, and enjoy it more. I'm definitely not putting like, obviously my heart won't break if it doesn't happen. But um, I feel like I'm too too fit to not try. <laughs> Do your sponsors care? I mean, they always say it's a it's a big platform and and which it is, it's cool like there's a lot of eyes on it. Um but if you could stay creative, I feel like the sponsors don't really care. And hey, another person that comes up a million times in the piece is Matt Biolas. And uh, I was kind I was wondering well, he whether you just and- texted me as you said. That. Oh, really? What did he say? We're, we're trying to sneak to El Salvador. Oh, nice. Well, I was wondering if, if you and Mason felt like you needed to constantly bring up Matt because you, you know, you've got this long-term uh, friendship and shaping relationship and then yet you're writing all these other boards. Like, I wondered if you felt this pressure, like, oh, we've got to acknowledge Matt as much as possible because we're writing all these other boards and it feels like we're cheating on him. Totally. Um, but I do feel like the the 
The reason I naturally, I'm definitely not fake. I can't lie. I can't bullshit anything. I'm like, it's in my, it's in my star signs that I'm not <laughs> fake. <laughs> but um, I think I naturally spoke about Matt a lot because, tr- like, that's all I know. He's all I know in the board world, and um, and even for like fun boards, he's only made me two different types of fun boards in my life. And so Mason was like, I get spoiled with fun boards. And so that's why Mason knew all the retro rails and like wings and stuff. Like I, I've never even dabbled in that. And um, so the only references I had with surfboards was Matt's, like Mayhem's. Um, but then I, I didn't feel too bad doing the series because I was like, this is guilt-free cheating on Matt because <laughs> everyone knows the premise of electric acid and stab in the dark. Hey, when was the last time you did a, tr- a trip, just you and Mason, before this one? But, um, oh my God, Mason's going to be mad. I can't remember. I mean, I got him to come snowboarding this year. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, he came to Aspen. How are, your, how are your snowboard skills these days after, how long have you been with Mark? Yeah, it's been, oh my gosh, my 22nd birthday. And I'm 30. So eight years minus two because we kind of had a break. <laughs> yeah, right. And are you, are you confident backflips on the pipe? Are you, are you pretty like... Oh, hell no. I do big slashes in the pipe. I'm oh, like you the just person surf? that chops up the pipe. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, Mark, am I allowed or am I like messing up the wall? He's like, it's the end of the day. You can slash. <laughs> and... When you, I, I, everyone talks about the dynamic you two have, and you describe it as oil and water, and you always seem like the the more sensible sensible one. And 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 Mason, he reminds me of a couple of friends. They're like super whimsical and then like never serious. And and those kind of Peter friends Pan. after he's, yeah he's Peter Pan. And I feel like <laughs> sometimes those kind of friends can drive drive you insane after a while. Does Mason ever? <laughs> does Mason ever just do your head in? That's fully the only reason he drives me insane. <laughs> and it's so funny. But then I realized it's the best thing for me because I am such a nerd and so serious sometimes that like his positivity just like hypnotizes me. And everyone's like, oh, Coco, you guys are just so jolly and happy. And I'm just like, really? But I think I get like the dose of Mason. <laughs> Is he always on? Yes. He's never, he's never, he's never like falls in a heap flat. Barely, um, only when he puts his headphones on and goes into his little editing bay. And that can be a couple of days. I'm like, whew, I have a break. My ears and brain have a rest. I'd love to know, how did, did, how did electric acid change you in any way if it did, that process? It definitely did because it, like, I didn't, have to train for a heat the past two years. So I was like starting to ride the 96 fish a lot, the rocket a lot during quarantine and riding alternative boards in bigger waves. And those aren't very alternative in the scheme of things. So electric acid made me really like enjoy riding a twin fin in two to four foot surf. Like, it doesn't have to be six inches to go ride a fish. That was my cliche. And I, I would have this guilt. I did, like, a little YouTube um, last year during quarantine of me on my quiver. 
And I was like, quote unquote, I said, I hate fishes because I hate having the guilt as soon as I get a, a one foot wave turns into a two foot wave and I'm on a fish, I, I feel restricted. Is that just your conditioning from being a competitor for so long and wanting to rip the shit out of it? 100%, 100%. And I laughed like thinking back to that video. It was only a year ago I said that. And then now I'm like, I was surfing Mexico, like the best Chipewa you can get on twin fins all day, every day. Like, so it was really funny. And that's what electric acid made me realize you can ride these like incredible twin fins and not be like, I'm not bogging by any I'm means. I'm not bogging by any means. I'm not bogging by any means. Thanks, Coco. And thanks for listening. That's all we have this week. Please get in touch. I was, I was going to start doing listener correspondence but I've been really slack on that at the moment but I do read the emails and I I do want to start that as a segment on the show I want to hear from the people so my email is in the episode description I'll put Bucks in there as well if you want to hit him and uh, yes stay tuned for that and see you next week I think we'd just ridden Waimea for the first time. And it's kind of far away. And uh, so Bud would process the film. Well, I'd show guys piling down the side of the wave. And everybody would be going, oh, there's me, there's me, there's me, you know. And half the time it was bullshit. The guy that was saying it was, was him wasn't him and everything. And I thought to myself, hey, I ain't stealing anybody else's waves. And I don't want anybody stealing mine. Hence black and white jailhouse shorts. It was like my, my board, bar of wax, and my shorts. And you know, like you do anything else in life and you need all this shit, you know? If you go skiing, you need this and that and money and all that crap. And you go surfing, man, all you need is a board, bar of wax, and a pair of shorts.